Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. Technology is changing rapidly. What's next in the digital factory? Who is leading the change? What are the key skills to learn and how to stay up to date on manufacturing and industry 4.0? The topic is early startups meet industry 4.0. Our guest is Lila Partridge, Managing Director at Stanley Black & Decker and Techstars Accelerator for AI in Advanced Manufacturing. In this conversation, we talk about how Stanley Black & Decker's approach to early innovation by external partnerships has borne fruit and how the program has focused on AI, advanced manufacturing, eco-friendly, sustainable packaging, and more. Augmented is a podcast for industrial leaders, for process engineers, and for shop floor operators. Hosted by futurist Thrun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Lila, how are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. I'm excited to be talking about uh, how startups and industry is kind of meeting in this uh, industrial tech moment. Would you agree? Is it a moment? I think it is. I think it's a phenomenal opportunity and a transition in many levels on, on, on so many different industrial fronts. I'm really looking forward to exploring a couple of them in this, in this conversation. Lila, back in the days at Wellesley College, when you graduated or, you know, those four years, uh, was it at the back of your mind that you're going to be kind of an industrial powerhouse broker? <laughs> not at all. I was actually a studio art major, so not at all. But I did take off a semester and went and worked, interestingly enough, for a tiny little company up in Redmond, Washington, with 200 employees. And most of those employees retired <laughs> a couple of years later when Microsoft went public. So I have startups even in my early, early days. Well, early days. And then you went to corporate banking and you know, I think you had some success there. You want, you know, very early got promoted in, in various corporate banking jobs. And then you went to Intel Capital, had a successful sort of stint there. But then you turned yourself into a serial entrepreneur and headed up a bunch of different tech companies. And now you are at Techstars, a top accelerator, specifically building a custom program for Stanley Black & Decker, the toolmaker. Did I butcher your career here? Or was this? <laughs> That's a really accurate overview and probably faster than I would be able to talk through it. There's definitely lots of nuances and right and left turns. And, and I've always had fun. And I will tell you, being in the startup community is really where I'm at home at and working with entrepreneurs and my really excited piece that I love what I'm doing right now has to do with bridging between entrepreneurs and these large industrial companies that are really interested in working with startups and innovation and being able to make that work more smoothly. Because when you combine the resources of some of these big companies like Stanley Black & Decker, a really phenomenal things can happen. Yeah, but it's not easy. Right. <laughs> it's not easy. That is absolutely true. And I'd say it's not easy on both sides. I think uh, large corporations optimize for coordination of, across a lot of different business units and capabilities and resources. And tiny little startups, um, they live and die by the small amount of money they have in the bank. So they have to move very, very fast. And making the two work well together, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, massaging that happens during those conversations. So there's a lot to be said about this topic. Let's start just by in one angle. Stanley Black & Decker 
as any company, tries to be innovative and there's various strategies a big company has to accomplish that. Maybe it's worth spending a few seconds. You had a, a good analysis of the different strategies that Stanley puts into place and, and where the startups fit into this picture because you know it's obviously not the only thing that a company like that does to stay on, on the edge, but it is a, a linchpin in their strategy. Can you just map that out? Delighted to do that. I think Stanley is among one of the more sophisticated large companies across the globe who engage with startups, and they do it in four ways. Um, the first is working with me, with Techstars, and so they work with us because they like our global reach. You know, we're in accelerators in over 22 countries, and we're in 1,800 cities where we run programming. So we really touch a lot of the seed stage, early, early stage innovation globally. And so that's why they work with us on that. And we run an accelerator, as you know. The second piece that I think is really interesting is Stanley X, which is a program run internally in California and Silicon Valley. And that is a studio model where they're really looking to incubate and find different business models, both to spin out as well as to internally bring in. And that group loves to work with early stage startups. So they often will reach out to me and ask about a specific startup in an area and we introduce a lot of Techstars companies to them, and I'm more than happy to introduce companies outside of Techstars to them because I think it's a win-win for everyone. The corporate venture arm is very embedded within the business units, and they're really tightly aligned and understand everyone there. And they focus very much on helping to drive top-line profit. And one of the things that I think is really cool about some of the things they do is that if it's a hardware company, they might even help the startup in some of the costs for their supply chain. So they really dig in and roll up their sleeves and help the companies. And the last piece, the fourth piece, is just the traditional large company internal business unit innovation arm. And those are folks that are constantly looking at their existing products. How can they make them better? How can they improve them? And they're, because of these other three initiatives, open to talking to startups as well. So it's a really terrific company to work with because they understand the different aspects of how you can interact with the startup community. That's very cool. I mean, we'll, we'll get back to Stanley in a second, but briefly about Techstars. So has, has Techstars now, for the most part, moved to corporate programs? Or is this just still one leg of Techstars and they continue their own broad-based model? And, and in any case, uh, I'm curious about how these kind of corporate models kind of come about. Is that generated by Techstars internal outreach who says, you know, Stanley or somewhere else, you really should do this? Or is it uh, typically the other way around? Or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. One of my counterparts, Marty Gouet, has often talked to others about what we do. And because of those conversations, we get approached. Um, we also are very much interested in sometimes putting more than one company together in a group around a similar topic. Uh, we, in Hollywood, we have a content program that deals with a lot of similar large names that you'd, you'd recognize, like Sony and others. And those are companies that work together because they have a similar theme that they want to address. Stanley likes to have just one Techstars MD like myself because then they can switch from one very specific topic to another. So in the first three years, they focused on manufacturing, but when it was additive manufacturing, then some was packaging, sustainable packaging. The third year was AI and manufacturing, very much on the factory floor. 
and now they're focused on electrification. And so they're all relatively related in that they're very much tied to industrial and to their products and businesses, but they definitely do refocus a little bit every year to something that um, might be particularly relevant to them or strategic or in response to what's happening in the marketplace. Hmm. And how do you run this accelerator? What is the process? How does a startup connect with you? And how do you and Stanley interact with these startups? So when I'm looking and talking to as many startups as I can, I often do a speaker series in whatever the theme is. So uh, last year it was on AI and manufacturing. This year is on electrification, where I try to pull some of the leaders in the marketplace, as well as myself moderating is from Techstars perspective and Stanley. And we're very much covering topics that we think are relevant and really explaining what's happening sometimes in those dark corners of the factory that no one on the outside gets to see in. And at the same time, being very open about where each of these individuals and when it was manufacturing, it was Ansys and Rockwell and Stanley talking about where are the opportunities, uh, where should startups be building solutions? And if they're building them, come talk to us. You know, we're just about to announce the electrification series, and I'm sure we'll have something next year as well. And a lot of that interaction is really about helping and this is really my main theme, is that connection between a startup and a large company. So I want to have the startups I work with not just have the ability to tap deeply into domain expertise at Stanley, but I surround the, the organization with others like Caterpillar and Moog and Northrop Grumman and John Deere. You know, a lot of our mentors are coming from manufacturing. And so you'll see very similar types of mentors coming in from or the electrification, you know, national grid, some of them are venture arms, some of them are actual innovation areas, and some of them are just domain experts. But the notion is very much this bridge between startups in the industrial space wanting to really connect with corporations, because that is where a lot of really interesting innovation is happening. It's not always funded by the venture community. So I think of it a little bit untraditionally, and I think it's an opportunity to really help the startups accelerate not just the traditional programming that Techstar is so wonderful at, which covers everything operationally, but to also extend it into this, what I think is one of the most interesting challenges is how do you bridge between small companies and large ones? I noted that, and I'm sure the statistics changed a little bit, but in the second cohort, you'd actually had something like uh, half female founders Mm -hmm. and you had some other interesting metrics. Female founders in manufacturing and AI uh, at the second court, I don't know, that was that the manufacturing one? Either way, it's an interesting uh, statistic. It is a great statistic and one we're very proud of. And I think also one that we very, very much want to extend. We have some very aggressive goals for ourselves internally to have CEOs that we fund that are women and underrepresenting minorities. Um, I like to think of them as underestimated communities because a lot of times that's not been traditionally supported. And we have a woman CEO actually at Top of Techstars who particularly feels passionately about that and we'll be really focusing on that. One thing I would add to that is the effort that we're currently doing this year. Uh, We are in Baltimore this year for this accelerator. In the past, we've been in Hartford and we're virtual during the pandemic, obviously. And in Baltimore, we work with an organization called Upsurge Baltimore, and they are phenomenal. They're just, you know, kicking off their efforts, but they are really trying to 
use things like accelerators and apply them with the notion of you know technology to reach and broaden every community's access to what we are seeing now is this amazing phenomenal growth um, in the economy based on technology. So equality and tech meetings, that's really where their focus is. And that's really what Upsurge Baltimore is focused on. And I encourage you all to go look at their website because they're doing some really cool work. And other than that, what kind of impact are you expecting? I noticed another statistic, probably a little outdated, but the alumni of your program had raised something like 10 million in follow-on investment. I mean, that's an easy metric to measure. There are probably other impacts and certainly we'll get into the Stanley connection in and of itself. These are not always easy things to measure, like the kind of collaboration that has spurred or the inspiration the senior leaders in Stanley have felt around the startups. That's not exactly something you can clock in. So the way I think about it is really about making and enabling change in a lot of different ways. Um, Certainly, we can help uh, startups raise money. I think Techstars has always been relatively good at that. My view on that is when it comes to industrial, it starts with the kind of pilots from the kind of mentors we have, definitely within Stanley, but also extending well beyond Stanley. And in those instances, what we're really trying to do is connect opportunities to learn about what's happening in the factory floor or in the field of electrification. And with that knowledge, enable them to have better refined product offerings for what the market's looking for. So when I look at what we can do, broadly speaking, we can expose the entrepreneurs to domain expertise. We can expose those entrepreneurs to mentors. Uh, We can expose them to opportunities for pilots. And in all that process, if the focus remains on encouraging diversity and pulling in people who normally may not consider careers in these industries, those are great ways to do it, right? I recruited a lot of women mentors last year out of my Rolodex from my industrial days, both as banker and also with my Intel Capital days. And now with Baltimore, we're getting really excited about pulling in mentors from that community. Um, and particularly with Equitech Focus, we'll get some really interesting support. I suspect that'll be quite helpful in terms of just showcasing some of the leaders in these markets who are doing interesting things and helping entrepreneurs put themselves on track to become the next generational leaders. So if you think about it from the Stanley angle, again, it's a little bit surprising, but Stanley has been pretty vocal about not just their support for startups, but generally their support for the ecosystem. And they have been out there with an ecosystem strategy. Why is it that a company like Stanley, which is already quite innovative, why do they need to bring in the ecosystem to such an extensive degree and bring them along? Why is that important? I think there are two pieces to that. One is just uh, the leadership, Jim Lurie in particular's view, that companies are part of their environment. They are a responsible citizen. They should, as responsible citizens, give back to the community, and that includes not just their employees, but the cities that they're in. And so I think that's why the accelerator is in Hartford and also in Baltimore. Those are cities where he really wants to be involved in that development. I think the other way to think about it is industrial. So we are at a time in Industry 4.0 where big companies like Stanley are relatively far along that track. You know, some factories more than others, but they're really pushing towards automation, increased productivity, increased throughput. And now, interestingly enough, the bottleneck is 
their supply chain. And a lot of those are very small companies. And so this past March, uh, Stanley Black & Decker announced with the National Association of Manufacturers an initiative in Connecticut where they were actually going in and acting as consultants to 10 small and medium enterprise uh, manufacturers, supply chain, I think, and helping them figure out how and what they would need to do to upgrade into Industry 4.0. And this is really this notion that if there's a bottleneck, you're not going to speed up or be productive if you're caught in your supply chain. And and this also kind of very much ties into a third trend, which is this notion of the circular economy. I build locally. We know with this, this pandemic that we have certainly had our challenges there. So there's a lot of things going on, as you said earlier, and, and this is just a tip of the iceberg, I think, and change that's running in Industry 4.0. Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't help Stanley if they have a very advanced shop floor, if their suppliers are sitting there with an old type of equipment or or even worse, have bought some new equipment and can't use it, right? So that doesn't help anybody. Let's uh, talk a little bit uh, concretely about some startups that you've worked with that are mm-hmm. relevant to industry for, let's take that as an example. I know, for example, in the robotics area, you have worked with at least one particular startup that I, I thought was interesting. I think you're, you're thinking about pure robotics. I right. love that entrepreneur. I, I think so highly of that whole team. There's a woman CTO there. They're in India. They're about to open up their first location in the United States in Connecticut area. And what's really cool about what they're doing is they are part of that process of making Industry 4.0 accessible to these small medium enterprises. Their initial customers and pilots are with very large companies, but the founder there, Rashab's father used to run a very small manufacturing plant, and he was constantly involved with a lot of those uh, challenges, one of which was that they couldn't afford automation. Uh, Why? Because they were just small, and the systems integration costs were too much. And so what Rashab and his team have done is to build an AMR, an autonomous mobile robot. These are things that can move materials around, and they've done it so that it's like your iRobot. You take it out of the box, you push a button, and it works. You don't have to go and hire an expensive systems integrator. Um, in their case, they take it out of the box, you push a button, and you push it around like a, like a shopping cart, and then you push the button and it goes. And it's uh, smart enough to know and to, to pause if it runs into a person or something's moving around it and continue as it, as it should uh, based on that shopping cart sort of uh, pushing it around, which means you can also reprogram it really easily. So maybe you need to unload something or a truck. So you push it around and then start that process. And then you need to move materials elsewhere from maybe one, one line to another. And you kind of push it around and there it goes. So those kinds of ways of thinking about movement of products and people in the factory, being aware of the needs of a small enterprise, I mean, that comes from just being exposed to it. And I'm really excited about what they're doing. There's really a lot of interest there. Do you remember exactly how they got connected? Did they just apply to the program or were they fielded in somehow? I'll have to go back and ask him exactly, but definitely apply to Techstars, knowing a little bit about Techstars and having heard about what we were doing. I think he may have heard about it from the speaker series when we were talking about what does AI and manufacturing mean for a company like Stanley and Rockwell and all these others. So, so I think a lot of it is paying attention to the discussions that are, are I think we tried really hard to explain where we thought there was opportunity for new innovation and he got excited. It's awesome. And can you say something about what Stanley actually has done with them? I mean, does it necessarily have to be a formalized collaboration or can it be as easy as, you know, peer and the story around it 
gets around Stanley and then people kind of get excited from it? Or do you have a much more tangible kind of story here where you feel like, okay, well, we we talked to five people, we put them on three different stages, they have influenced a hundred people and then a thousand people at Stanley and, you know, what is the process for a typical company? I mean, this may not be the best uh, example here, but... Uh. <laughs> well, I wish I had another year is what I could tell you. And then I could probably come out with a bunch of things to tell you. I know there's a lot in, in the works and it is more than one thing that's in the works. But this is where I would pause and say, particularly startups, things don't happen quickly. So this particular accelerator where Peer was part of began in February the class graduated in uh, April. So we're talking about less than nine months. And it's pretty uncommon from first, you know, introduction to, you know, something coming to the point where you could announce it or officially talk about it happening in, in less than nine months, not with large companies. There's just a process. They have their own internal funding and, you know, allocation of resources that just takes time. But I will tell you that during the program, Phil Glick, uh, one of the folks who has been doing cool robotic stuff in industrial settings since the 1980s, really, really knowledgeable, great guy, spent a lot of time with them and really helped them think through some technical issues, gave them opportunities to talk to a lot of folks who are actually doing things in the warehouse and also in the factory floor so that, you know, a lot of sort of ideas that they may have been thinking about, a lot of notions of features. When do we add this feature or that feature? How important is it that we come out with a robot that can carry more weight? Those kinds of things, you know, they were able to get not only that kind of feedback from some of the mentors that come out of manufacturing that we put around them, but really from a number of people in different operative roles within factories and warehouses. And, and that's really valuable. I mean, those people don't have time to talk to a lot of people. And so for a small startup to be able to tap their brain for an hour, that's awesome. And what I'm most excited about. Yeah, no, I agree. So this was the hardware side. I mean, really the hardware side. Let's uh, go to, to the software side. So Track It is an app store that you've also been working with. What was special about that kind of collaboration? So it's a Canadian company and two entrepreneurs who have had to do all the pivoting and turning and responding that unfortunately we in the startup world know well. What I really loved about them, and I still am very, very excited about them, they're really on the cusp of taking off, is that both of them have a background in manufacturing. They'd worked on the manufacturing floor. They had worked on a, a bunch of different products, including you know supply chain issues and on-floor capabilities. And they came to the conclusion that one of the challenges they had in all their interactions was this enormous, large engine for approval. And so you had to talk to the IT guys, and then you had to talk to finance, and you had to talk to this or that. And so they had this insight that, well, what if we could actually make it really easy just to have a simple app that someone could access? And let's make it at a price point where they can try it out inexpensively without having to first convince the 20 or 30 people that typically get involved in any kind of decision and have that ROI be three months and have it really fix a problem that's needed at that time for a specific function. And so they started with that notion and have, as a result, gotten traction with some pretty interesting large companies who are also then involving them with the interaction with their supply chain, which is exactly that model that you want in industrial. And it really comes with the notion of if you have an infrastructure where not only the large company can add their own additional coding if one of the divisions wants to, to fix that problem or the other, but that that connectivity isn't onerous and doesn't take a lot of time, but you can get a point solution 
then the response has been tremendous. You know, people immediately tie a lot of things together that, you know, I'm not going to go through specifics because I think it's a little bit of secret sauce right now, but it doesn't have to be a huge forklift with every possible feature brought in and, and done by a systems integrator and customized. Let that shop for operator and that shopler manager choose what they need in like this app store and do it in a way that they can very quickly get their ROI from that one feature, as opposed to really thinking about a large, huge industrial piece of software with a lot of systems integration. I see a kind of a theme in, in these types of engagements that you, you really go with something where the startups add an element that is kind of the opposite of what you typically would do in industrial thinking, which is, you know, let's make it big and broad and generally applicable and, and have every bell and whistle and, and, you know, rock solid and send it to market. But the two startups you have described have taken the exact opposite approach, just good enough, quickly solve the problem at hand and just do it well enough and wrap it up and, and you're done. And also not expecting huge price points. I mean, one of the challenges I often see when we see some of these really phenomenal solutions is that um, whether it's coming from Silicon Valley or somewhere else, the expectation is that these large, big companies want to spend a lot of money and they're actually really disciplined. So they're really looking for a quick ROI. And if it has to be something that happens over a rollout of two years, it's really hard for them to get there. Really hard. What about on the supply chain side? I know in a sort of a hybrid mode here, Slide Tracker is another engagement you have. Yeah, they're really cool. I actually like Slide Tracker more from the perspective of legacy. So one of the challenges is that when you get away from automobiles or airplanes, most manufacturers are what I would say discrete manufacturers. They they have machines. In fact, I know Stanley still has a lathe from the 1950s that is still in operation. So when you think about these old factories that have been around for a long, long, long time, you're not looking at like a piece of software that you can throw out and, and, and add in easily. Some of these machines are not even connected. They're not sensorized. They're not in no way is there a loop around them that can automate the improvements. And so one of the things I was really interested in is finding those people, because they're out there, who know how to connect these devices, who have been through the pain of figuring out all the different kinds of things that get connected. And then at the same time, aren't just stopping with this notion of sensorizing because that doesn't give them a product they can sell, but they're actually optimizing. And so what SlideTracker has is a series of different products, but the one that really got me excited about was the tool optimization in the CNC machines that he works with and the ability to go in and it is a hardware and software solution. So it does require a warm body touching a piece of machinery in the real world. But once you put it in, you can go at 40% improvement in cycle times and you can decide, well, you know, we're going to optimize for this tool's life and take it out right before it breaks and regrind it and reposition it, put it back in and have a longer life for that tool. And, and if you're a small mom and pop, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And I like to think about it from the perspective of now the mom and pops can buy these old CNC machines for $10,000, add this little bit of little capability on top of it, and have the functionality that a $300,000 machine would be on the market today. And to me, that's the beginning of how you begin to, again, bring that supply chain, bring that mom and pop and smaller machine shop or smaller manufacturing plant online, which is what you need. So I'm pretty excited about what they're doing. You know, one of the things that strikes me when I hear you talk about these things is it, it does take quite a lot of expertise to be able to work 
with all these startups and you're actually running one cohort and switching to a different topic. So you have to juggle Stanley, Techstars, different startups, different topics. What sort of advice and help do you really aim to be giving to startups over a few months of intense work? And realistically, what can be achieved? And, you know, when, when you think about your own role, it's one thing is to be an advisor and call them up now and then and pat them on the back and say, you're doing a good job or, you know, I don't like this and change it. It's a pretty, not just a hefty responsibility, but how do you really allocate your energies in, in, in terms of value creating activities for these startups? And what sort of things are they typically needed? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> you covered the program and what we do after the program. So let me start with what I get excited about. Anyone who's been an entrepreneur, one of the most rewarding and the most encouraging and the most helpful relationship are the other entrepreneurs that you might tap for advice. They may be our formal mentors or they may be informal. Maybe they're just peers that you meet either in an accelerator or some other program together. Or maybe you both pitch at the same pitch day event and you just like each other and continue that relationship. But having been an entrepreneur multiple times, those kinds of things and, and being able to help someone is really what I love. And what that means is I try very hard whenever I put a group of companies together for a class to first step back and think about what does this group as a whole need? I do personal reference checks on all my CEOs. And what I typically ask the reference is, what from my program do you think this individual needs? And it's funny. Sometimes you get really soft answers like they really need some help on you know, managing people. And sometimes you need some very specific help. But the reality is, is that you just listen. And then you sort of think, who in my Rolodex or oh, I should say Rolodex, my LinkedIn for connections, and who within the Techstars family, because we have this really extended group of large founders and others, mentors that we can tap, who within those circles can we bring to bear? And then I also very much look at, okay, so now we've got this cohort of manufacturing, and now this is for cohort electrification. Which are those people in large companies that love working and mentoring startups as much as I do? Can I bring them in? Can I get them involved? Because all you really need is that chemistry to happen between two people. And, you know, sometimes you'd say, okay, this, this is a mentor that I would never put together with this founder, but this chemistry takes off and, you know, beautiful things come out of it. And it may not even be that that person works for a company who gives them a pilot, but that person used to work with someone who used to work with someone who, by the way, now is doing this cool stuff and you put them together and, you know, something magical happens. So, it's that connection, the bridging, both with small and large companies, but really through people and the people who have this passion for this kind of help that I think drives me first and foremost. It also lends itself to the whole programming. You know, Techstars has wonderful programming, but the wonderful thing also about Techstars is as a managing director, I get to choose who I bring in to do what. And again, I go back to who are the people that I have in this group? Who are the people I know that I can help them? If I don't know, but I know that there is a need for some kind of a particular knowledge base, I will reach out to my MD peers. I'll reach out to my Rolodex. And I've been around a long time. So I generally know someone who knows someone. And I really think that's how things get done. This is a very much a business in the early stage where nothing's black and white. 
nothing's completely clear. And so the more information and expertise and just a perspective any founder can get and connections, opening up doors and having them talk to exactly the right person, that's what gets me all jazzed. And I don't know if I've really answered your question as much as kind of, you know, given a bit of a sense of how I think about these things. Well, you caught me. It was a long questions with a long possibility of, of answers. But uh, let's get back to this sort of starting point here, which is, you know, both Stanley and these startups are, at the end of the day, they're looking to get inspired, but they're looking for scale of their efforts. And it's, it's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it, with scale? Because so much of the activity you've been describing are micro interactions. They're like one introduction to another. How do you think about sort of industrial scale? Because it seems that very often it's created by these non-intuitive, small type of activities. How do you know or how do you have an inkling that they're going to actually generate such a scale that's you know eventually needed for these startups to take off or for Stanley to be happy at the end of a long cohort? I don't think you ever know. And you never will know because these relationships and these connections uh, lead to unexpected. What I will tell you is that there are some basics. And, you know, you can go to business school and find out about who you're selling to, what are you selling them, and, you know, why are they buying? And you have all sorts of wonderful structures around that that can help you think this stuff through. I think the most interesting piece for me is that when you get into industrial, the customer is always a manufacturer or an enterprise of some scale. And in those instances, the kinds of things that I think are most interesting is in figuring out how to rise above the noise. If you have so many startups knocking on the door, if there's so many solutions in exactly the same space, what is it that's going to differentiate one versus the other? And one of the reasons that you'll never quite know is because we're looking for things that are going to change. We're looking for change agents. And so you're never going to get it right 100% of the time. And so I can't tell you there's a formula, but I can tell you that sometimes... Those of us who, who look for startups in the space say, yeah, I know when I see it. And some of it might just be the energy and focus and the experience of the entrepreneur. Some of it might simply be this really interesting 10 degree shift in perspective, like this example that we gave with TrackIt in terms of saying, well, you know, if they need these problems solved, let's solve them for them. Let's not worry about, you know, making IT and security and everybody else happy. Let's find a way to sort of give them a solution quickly and easily, right? And it sounds really obvious, but it's not that easy to figure out how to do it. So when you find someone who kind of has an interesting way of thinking about it, you know, I tend to pay attention. And then I tend to put them in front of some Stanley folks and say, what do you think? And they say, oh, that's kind of interesting. All right, yeah, let's try that. And it really is experimentation. And if the spirit of experimentation is on both sides, Stanley and the founder, that's when great stuff happens. You have an interesting vantage point, Lila. What is the next big thing in industrial tech? Where are we headed with this? You agreed to me early on that we are in, a, in an interesting kind of industrial moment. There are things that have been broken loose, perhaps, or things that are changing. What are the things that will change the most, perhaps, over the next few years? What are the things you might be excited about? So there are two things I'm really excited about. One goes back to this notion of supply chain. And it's not supply chain in terms of optimizing the best cost for a large company. It's in terms of having Industry 4.0 get into that supply chain in a way that supports circular economies, efficiencies, enables smaller companies to be more productive, you know, all of the types of things that, you know, we could make long lists on that. 
The second thing that I'm actually really excited about is the sustainability angle. And that sustainability angle comes to play in many different ways, both on the factory floor and the supply chain, but also in what I would say is this industrial trend in electrification. So the theme of the next accelerator is electrification. And I expect that to be a massive theme for the next couple of years because right now we all think of Tesla and electrified cars and scooters and things like that, but they're all still in that kind of first or second generation of the implementations, and they're not quite there yet in a lot of cases. What I'm seeing now is how does electrification get pulled into areas where it makes intuitive sense industrially? And that's not because the government said, here's a penalty and here's a incentive. It's because Obviously, it makes a lot of sense to put electric vehicles into mines so you don't have combustion engine fumes to vent. It makes sense to try to find things that are safer than these massive hydraulics on construction equipment. It makes sense to think about, well, let's take down noise pollution as well as let's not have petroleum products spread all over our yard because we're using this chainsaw that's, you know, got petroleum products. Let's make them biodegradable. Let's make them electric. Let's make them quieter. And by the way, when you start doing those sorts of things, you know, all sorts of technical challenges come up and battery life and technologies associated with that. But we're moving in that direction. And electrification is important uh, as a way in which to move us to more sustainable ways of living. And I'm very excited about that piece. Lastly, one thing that's frustrating is this divide between consumer and industrial or consumer Mm -hmm. and B2B. You know, historically, I guess for a while, they were very distant and different concerns. But do you think that this new stage, especially perhaps in sustainability, are we going to see companies that increasingly try to straddle this divide? Or is there for you still in your mind when you're dealing with kind of industrial tech, that's a very separate issue and any improvements that are good for industry, they are very, very separate from kind of a consumer logic, which, you know, traditionally perhaps are much more short term, much more fad oriented and kind of like fit in with like whims of of the consumer. Are, are these things in any way meeting in any of your activities? I think they're meeting around sustainability. Depending on what you read or look at, it's hard not to be aware of that discussion about how are we going to be more sustainable whether it comes with all the plastic that we now know is in all sorts of landfills and guess what, some landfills don't take our stuff anymore, so what are we going to do about it? But I also think the consumers who are asking and buying and voting with their feet, that's changing how folks who are making products behave. And the ability for a company like Stanley, which is very aggressive in their sustainability goals, they want to be out of plastic packaging that is not good for our environment by 2025. They have said that they want to be at net carbon neutral in their 150 factories and warehouses by 2030. And given that they are highly acquisitive, constantly buying new factories, many of which are old and been around and not quite where they need to be for those reasons. Those decisions are not just simply the leadership saying we want to do this, but there's their reaction to consumers saying this is important to us. And I'm very excited about this kind of interaction back and forth where you know, big companies are not only being part of their cities and environments and eco-dev and responsible citizens there, but also responsible in terms of how they're building products and listening to the consumers who are also paying attention. So I think there is maybe not a direct business model at this stage yet, but there's certainly influence in terms of what products are being built and how. Well, Lyle, this is interesting discussion. Clearly, there are intersections between a lot of different things that all come together in sustainability, but certainly, you know, early stage startup and big 
industrial company, you've started to make those connections very, very tangible with the accelerator. I wish you best of luck with your next cohort. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The topic was early startups meet industry 4.0. Our guest was Lila Partridge, Managing Director at Stanley Black & Decker and Techstars Accelerator for AI in Advanced Manufacturing. In this conversation, we talked about Stanley Black & Decker's approach to innovation. My takeaway is that getting industrial tech right is to have a fit-for-purpose approach to partnerships between startups of all kinds and corporate divisions. Stanley Black & Decker has a myriad of programs and the early startup effort where they partner with Techstars is a great example. Success is not only attracting startups, it means treating them well. The results will not typically be visible for years as it is a long-term effort. Only time will show if this program has the longevity and results that early results are showing. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 27, Industry 4.0 Tools, where I interview Carl March, the director of Industry 4.0 at Stanley Black & Decker, episode 45, the startup studio for manufacturing, or episode 18, transforming foundational industries. Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, a connected frontline operations platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry and especially industrial tech is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter.